0: Every one of us in this room, we've got dreams, things with all our heart we'd really like to do, but I promise you the only way to get there is to make today count. Start and be faithful in the small things.
1: Welcome back to There Is Always A Way podcast with Dr. Jay Strack. From Scotland, today's guest is first a wife and mom, and in her spare time, she's an author, Bible teacher, and television host. She has spoken around the world to over 6 million women and reaches a potential 100 million people daily as co-host of the Life Today television program. She loves to make the Bible practical, sharing how God met her at her lowest point and helped her to rise up again. Her message is God is for you. Her books have sold over 5 million copies, including her latest bestseller, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And in February of 2020, she released her newest book, Praying Women, How to Pray When You Don't Know What to Say. Today, There's Always a Way with Sheila Walsh. Here's Dr. Strack.
0: Well, hello, I'm Jay Strack, and I want to welcome you, if you're watching or listening, to There's Always a Way podcast. Thanks for joining us. And I'm really pumped today, because we have a remarkable, remarkable lady with us. Now, I want to be Captain Obvious for just a second. Sheila Walsh is obviously a very powerful communicator. It's pretty obvious she's very effective at teaching the Word of God, and she's sold a few books, like about 5 million. So I'm Captain Obvious when I say man, we've got somebody that I've got a lot of questions for your background, Sheila, all that you've been through, you've spoken around the world, uh, New Zealand, Australia, South America, Brazil, I mean, South Africa, Brazil and the UK, let's not forget the mother country and Texas. So we're, so it's amazing where all you've spoken. So with your background, having written 30 books, uh, Having traveled all the places you've traveled, what's the first thing that Sheila Walsh, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase, there's always a way?
2: Wow, Jay. First of all, it's just great to be with you. I love you and your darling wife, Diane, so, so much. But honestly, the first thing that would come to my mind is the moment when it seemed like there was no way. I remember a night when I ended up in a psychiatric hospital and lying on the floor just thinking, how can there possibly be a way out of this pit of despair? But the Christ that I encountered at the lowest moment of my life has left me convinced that there's always a way.
0: We know from experience, do we not? Yeah. Now, Sheila, the very first time I was, uh, now I had met you at the 700 Club, uh, during a broadcast way back in the day as everybody had, you know, you interviewed and were a part of so many things there at the 700 club, uh, during those years. And those were exciting years for the evangelical movement and, uh, religious broadcasting. I mean, those were new and exciting times, but Sheila that day, uh, I saw you stand and speak. There were over 10,000 people there. It was the Association of Christian Counselors. uh, Tim Clinton's event in Nashville. The the Grand Ole Opry was filled to capacity. And I watched you stand up, and I was very interested in what you were going to share. And you told your story. And the breakthrough book, Uh, that I certainly heard about for the first time that day, but I've heard much about it ever since, is it's okay not to be okay. And I believe that's what you were referring to when you talked about that moment when you found out there's always a way. But Sheila, you were so transparent, so authentic, and I watched you with those trained professional counselors that have heard about everything, and I watch people wiping tears from their eyes and, and almost a sense of this is why I do what I do as a Christian counselor. But tell us about It's Okay Not to Be Okay, why you wrote that book, and really, where did you find the courage to be so candid and so transparent?
2: You know, it's interesting, Jay, because I never really thought I would write that book. Um, but I spent the first, I mean, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. And by the time that I that my life collapsed and I ended up in in a psychiatric hospital, I realized I had spent all of my Christian life trying to be perfect because I felt as if if I didn't want God to stop loving me, I had to get it all right. Because as a child, I was only five when my father attempted to kill me and then took his own life. And the last look I ever saw in my dad's eyes, and he was somebody before his illness who I adored, was. look of absolute hatred and so my reasoning as a child was if your own dad who Mm. once loved you could suddenly hate you then that's possible too with your heavenly father so when i gave my life to christ i made a commitment i will never let you down i will get it right i will be the perfect christian if it kills me and it almost did Mm. and so when i finally ended up in that in that hospital You know, I was used to, I went to seminary in London. I worked with Billy Graham and his crusades. I'd worked with Pat Robertson for years, you know, a man that I love and respect so much. But that night in the hospital, the only two words that I could squeeze out through my tears were, help me. I had no, I had nothing left. I I no more things to juggle before God to say, look what I'm doing for you. It was just this desperate cry at the lowest point of my life. And I have to tell you, Jay, I experienced the presence of Christ in that least likely place in a way I'd never known before. I discovered the truth of Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit.
0: Wow. Well, I'm telling you, I've, I've never forgotten uh, hearing that story for the first time. And I, I hope and pray everyone watching or listening Uh, this is a book, especially with what all's going on in the world right now, but that book, it's okay not to be okay, is one of the most, I don't want to call it a self-help book because it's a God help book, but it talks about how to start right here, right where you are, with all that pain, all that emptiness, and there is a way through, there is a way forward.
2: Yeah, I used to, I spent so many years pursuing perfection. But then from that point onwards, I pursued Christ who is perfect. I realized that, you know, okay doesn't live here, but Jesus does. And we get to come as we are, not as we wish we were.
0: Wow. You know, Paul, I think, uh, Paul, excuse me, Sheila, one of the uh, real insights the Lord gave me early in my ministry was there was a war against fathers because of the fatherhood of god that satan felt that with a generation if he could blur that or uh, literally wipe it out and you know i never will forget uh here i was 17 this junkie methamphetamine junkie six broken homes all the foster homes etc i always felt like a piece of luggage and i walk in and they go man is anybody Uh, Told you about your heavenly father. And I said, Well, I don't, I've had six, so I'm not really interested in having another. And little did I know that probably the, not probably, but the greatest need in my life would be to get a father. So I love to tell students and adults, I didn't have a father, didn't have a family, I didn't have a future. But when I invited Jesus into my life and he came, I got all three.
2: I love that, Jay. Wow, that's powerful. I didn't know that part of your story. But you're right. And even if you look at the way that TV and movies portray fathers, mm. there's such a negative, such an attack. And, I mean, I'm, I speak to women. That's my heart. But you don't have to damage the image of a man to, to realize your role as a woman. I mean, God has given the very fact that God calls himself our Abba. Our Father, and I'm often moved by the fact that at the most vulnerable, needy, pain-filled moments of Christ's life, it's a one time, and Luke records it for us, that we get to hear Jesus use that most intimate of terms, Abba. Hmm. You know, I need you now, Father.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, if Jesus needed to pray that <laughs> gives us pretty good license to go. It's okay for me to come with this pain and hurt. Now, Sheila. I want to I obviously talk about so many aspects, and plus you've got a couple exciting books that have come out almost back-to-back or really because of, uh, uh, you know, Praying Women obviously uh, led to Praying Girls and that devotion that you wrote, and we're very excited about that because I believe, especially with the coronavirus and all that's going on and The CDC has these stats out. I don't know if you saw the latest just in the last day. I wrote a couple of them down here, but you know, that a quarter of all teenagers have contemplated suicide during the COVID-19 quarantines. And then CDC goes on to say there have been 19 various quarantines, but it seems like forever. But it also goes on to say uh, that the kids that have this real cry for help, it's pretty obvious that we need to teach a generation how to pray.
2: Yeah, I read those stats yesterday, Jay, and honestly, I was heartbroken to realize that so many young people are in so much pain. And I think if you—I've talked to a couple of young girls who attempted to take their life. I mean, they were serious about it. It just didn't succeed. And when I talked to them, they said honestly, they didn't want to die. They just couldn't bear the pain anymore. They just wanted the pain to stop. And I found myself, the first month of COVID, you know, I'm, I'm used to being out, I'm used to speaking and teaching. And the first month I thought, well, this is great. I just binged watch, you know, the great British baking show on Netflix and stayed mm-hmm. in my jammies for a month. But then I found myself sinking and I found myself, you know, waking up with a feeling of dread. Of, and, and then my own son, Got COVID, and he's um, at Houston Baptist in Houston, and we're in Dallas, Texas. And everything in me wanted to go and be with him, and I couldn't. So I, I remember one morning going out on the little balcony of the townhome where Barry, my husband, and I live, and asking the Holy Spirit a very direct question How do I live at the moment? You know, what normal has gone, I can't do all the things I used to do. So, how do I live? now. And I did something that might seem a little wacky to some people, but um, I do it every single day now. I, I, I walk outside and I raise my arms. And it's honestly not even so much as an act of worship. It's an act of absolute 100% dependence on God because I'm not going to make it on my own. When our son was a little boy and he traveled with me when I spoke with an organization called Women of Faith, Sundays we'd be coming back late at night and he'd be marching through the airport with his little Thomas the Tank Engine backpack. But when he got tired, he would stop and he would just raise his arms and he wouldn't say a word. He didn't have to. I knew, oh, darling, you're tired. And I would pick him up and hold him close. Jay, I do that every day now, Sundays, three or four times a day. I just mm-hmm. go outside and I raise my arms. And it's just my way of saying, Father, I, I, don't, I don't get this. I don't know what we're going to do. And then I read a psalm out loud. It is so good for your ears to hear what your eyes are reading. And no matter what anybody who's listening or watching this is walking through right now, you will find yourself in the psalms. They're brutally honest. And they, it's almost as if God gave the psalms to the people of God so they could pray them back to God.
0: Well, Sheila, you've become a great voice uh, to women. Uh, women of faith was a little movement, did uh, fairly well, very impactful, obviously, for the glory of God. But uh, also for those who don't know the Lord, I know uh, personally, I watched my wife, Diane, as God gave her this burden for She Loves Out Loud. We were at the inauguration. We saw all the angry women. We saw the protests. We saw the noise and anger. I mean, it was, and I mean, every, the whole city came to a, a, a standstill. It was, it was a mess and it was not pretty. And I remember saying, well, you know what, man, if these women want to have a rally, we'll get five million. I mean, you know, and I'm doing the typical guy thing. And I never will forget in the midst of, some very frustrating times. I mean, we were supposed to be somewhere excited to be able to be at that particular thing and couldn't even get anywhere near close. And uh, I never will forget Diane looked at me and she said, honey, she said, you don't understand. You don't get it. And it's not your fault. It's kind of like, you know, you're a man. So obviously the Lord hadn't given you full revelation. or so. I mean, you know, I got that kind (laughs) of, that look. But she said, but you got to know These ladies probably don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have a Heavenly Father. They don't have the Comforter. They don't have anyone praying for them. And she said what these women need more than a counter-protest and each side screaming, we're right, you're wrong. What they really need is for Christian women to rise up and reach out to those that may not be a part of their world. And I know Diane began to pray intentionally that women, that she had nothing in common with the Lord would give her an opportunity to say, can we just pray together? Or how can I pray for you? But that little, that, that, those couple of moments, I know Diane said to me, she said there's a couple women and they're very busy and you know, I, you know, I don't know if they'd even have any interest or even time with everything they got going on. But you were one of the handful. I mean, just a couple. Ladies, she said, if there was any way, and then to be able to meet you at a small gathering of women and to watch the sisterhood that came. And then you were so helpful. Uh, our buddy, James Robinson, I want to talk about uh, Uh, some about what all you do with uh, him. That's a full-time job. I I had that job for many years, keeping him out of trouble. And Betty's grateful to have some help, I'm sure. But uh, James Robinson, and and I know you went and said, James, man, this is going on. You need to do this. And and I'm grateful the Lord spoke to him. But we had that beautiful facility and his team and they just rolled out the red carpet and over a million women from around the world connected on the internet and, uh, to hear the various testimonies and you shared, and there was a couple about, uh, uh, overcoming where the husband had been involved with pornography and the woman, the lady was devastated and they got a divorce. And then he, uh, got right, God and really began to study and realize and so they had a powerful message and then you shared your message about what to do when there's nothing to do there's no hope you don't know how to take the next step and there was uh, traffic women military wives and then a great moment of racial uh prayer for racial reconciliation but that was a incredible moment and you becoming a part of that was a huge encouragement and a huge help.
2: You know what? What Diane saw was um, she saw behind the noise and the anger, and and saw that these were women who were hurting. And I always think of Diane as a little bit like the Energizer Bunny. She's just not going to quit. You know, she just keeps going oh, and man. keeps going. Let me just sit back <laughs> and enjoy this. Yes, please. <laughs> But it's like, you know, Vonette Bride pretty much passed the baton to Diane and said, you know, you have to, you have to get the women to pray because what I believe is that when God's daughters go down in their knees, the battle is not over. The battle is just beginning because it's very easy to stand up. There's something in all of us that we want to stand up and, and cry out what we believe to be true, mm-hmm. but, but what Diane saw and captured and shared with the, the handful of us is that The only real hope is if we begin to pray for women. In fact, I had an experience of it last week, Jay. I was reading my messages on Facebook, and this woman said, I'm so sick of you. I I watch you on television, you're smirking happy face, and you're this and you're that. And I mean, it was one of the most, I mean, I won't share some of the words she used. Mm -hmm. And so one of my prayers is always, Lord, help me to hear behind the anger to the trouble. So I texted her back and I said, wow, that was quite something. Um, and I said, is there anything I could do? Is there any way I could help you? And and she came back and she said, honestly, I don't even remember writing it. I was drunk last night when I wrote it to you. And and so I said, you know what? That's okay, but there's something I wanna share with you. And we've begun this ongoing daily dialogue. And I know that what, I mean, her pain is just, it. that's what you see on the surface, but underneath is mm-hmm. this great, ache. And and I'm believing for this woman to come to Christ this week. And that's really the, the vision of She Loves Out Loud, that rather than yelling at people or telling them why they're wrong, that we pray for them and reach out with arms of love and tell them, you are loved, you are seen, you are known by God.
0: Well, it's exciting to see all those women in many, many churches, many small groups, but that are praying for other women and constantly staying in touch and reaching out. Well, Sheila, let's talk a little bit before. Well, let me talk about James because you know how he is. Uh, James Robinson's one of the most influential people in my life. Uh, is a young guy in seminary trying to get started. He heard me preach. He went to bat for me and then opened and then invited me to travel with him. And for a while, it was Mike Huckabee and me and Robert Morris, if you can imagine uh, those three. I had to help both of them, by the way. I had to greatly, you know, teach them how to, know. But anyway, (laughs) those are two amazing individuals. I told uh, both of them, if I'd have known you were going to turn out to be this famous and this effective, I'd have been a lot nicer back then. But, uh, (laughs) But James was the one who saw something, but also helped young preachers get started and we could go with them and travel and meet and see how you do crusades how to give an invitation how to you know but and then there was another time he wrote a letter when our daughter uh, had to have multiple surgeries and we were well over hundred thousand uh, dollars in debt no insurance you know these two young kids in seminary with a little baby girl six months old and he wrote a letter that booked me up for over two years, and the Lord was able to, the Lord used James to help us pay off all those medical bills, so mm-hmm. I I have to say a word about my man, James. I know you co-host with he and Betty on uh, Life Today, and I heard from a media guy about six months ago that it has a potential audience of 100 million people. And I'm going, good night. I hope James doesn't find that out. You know what I mean? Because I'll hear it. But anyway, he is uh, amazing. And it's fun to watch to watch you on that. But what I want to really get to is it's obvious, even during the COVID-19, you've been very busy. And uh, there's a 100 things you're involved with. And that program has been involved from tra- trafficking women, uh, women being trafficked, getting help and counseling and healing, and then, uh, wells of water. And when I heard the statistics and watched some of the video that you shot on location, uh, tell us about wells of water.
2: You know, it's it's such a basic need, Jay, and I will never forget my first, well, I, that's one of the things I love at life. I love that I get to do the mission trips now because James and Betty, you know, they've done that for years and, and now I'm able to, to do that. But the last trip I was on was in Zambia and, you know, we will obviously fly into a major city, but then we drive for hours to Mm -hmm. tiny, tiny villages where there are literally no clean water sources. The men in the village will dig six feet down and till they reach water, but the water is filthy and contaminated. And one of the women I'll never forget, her name was Mercy. And her daughter had died six months ago from drinking this contaminated water and then becoming very ill. And there was nothing she could do. And she asked me if I would walk with her to the place where she had buried her child. And as we got closer, I almost had to hold her up. She was just, she could barely walk. And then we knelt beside her daughter's grave and wept and prayed together. And I thought of all the things that we take for granted. I never think twice about turning on the faucet. Um, in fact, I'm always, never I've been in those countries, I'm saying to my husband, don't turn your shower, the shower on until you're in the shower. You know, he turns on until it gets warm. Things that we take for granted, and yet so many mothers, I did not meet one mother in Africa who hasn't lost at least one child to drinking contaminated water. Mm -hmm. And no mother wants to give that, but there's nothing else. But the difference is when we go in and we drill a well and it goes down deep to clean water, we we seal it off and it lasts for 70 years. That's why we call it water for life. It will last for the life of people in the village.
0: Well, i noticed that you've dug uh, together through Wells for Life, uh, Water for Life, 6,500 wells around the world. That's pretty exciting. And uh, lifetoday.org, if anyone's interested, uh, what a great, great, uh, you talk about giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, only it's perpetual and it could save hundreds and hundreds of people's lives plus change the quality of their life. Well, there's still millions and hundreds of millions that don't have clean water still in spite of 6,500 wells being dug. So uh, a lot of need, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. But Sheila, you went from, I'm okay, it's okay not to, I started to say, I'm okay, you're okay. Uh, (laughs) You went from, it's okay not to be okay, where you had this very uh, uh, heart-wrenching revelation and shared that story and allowed folks to really kind of feel your pain and then sense the great victory and joy that can come. But then now you followed it up with praying women. Now, what was behind that, praying women?
2: Honestly, that was a study from my own life, Jay. I felt like the area of my life that I was weakest in was my prayer life. You know, I love studying the Word of God. I love teaching. I love speaking. But when I really examined my own spiritual life, I thought, I think my weakest area is prayer. So I began a two-year study of just, you know, reading everything Scripture said about prayer. Um, And I remember Sometimes when Billy Graham would be on crusades, I would go and stay with his wife, Ruth, at the house. And she would always say to me, Sheila, when you're writing, don't just read what's current, go as far back as you can. And so I would go back to the early church fathers and what they wrote. In fact, Athanasius wrote that prayer is like a gymnasium for the soul. And and then, so it was for my own life. But then one night I threw out a question on my Facebook page and I said, okay guys, if I just say the word prayer, What comes to mind and i said now don't say what you think you're supposed to say say what's really what you really feel and it was interesting you know things like i get bored i get distracted you know i'm halfway through prayer and i'm thinking did i defrost the chicken or why bother praying if god already knows what he's going to do so i began to realize it wasn't just me that struggled with that area that i had a lot of sisters who did too so that's why i wrote the book praying women And and I I found this great quote by John Bunyan, who said, it's better to have a heart with no words than words with no heart. That God isn't interested in our perfection. He longs for our presence.
0: Wow. Diane has, uh, my wife Diane has a phrase, uh, and I've used it many times, but it's called the power of a woman's heart. (laughs) And uh, when you talk about praying women, uh, that is the power of a woman's heart, you know. That's where it all comes from, I believe. Yeah. Where else, and and where it flows from, and and my life's been changed by a praying woman. And uh, I know there are millions of people in the kingdom because mom prayed, the older sister prayed, grandmother prayed, uh, and aunt prayed. You know, whatever the case, and so. But I'm just thrilled that it's had the response that it's had. And so we've got a lot of professional people, uh, business executives that watch the podcast and follow all the various topics that we cover. And I want you to give a word to busy executives, men and women, but especially the ladies, about what prayer can do to their life, even if they're very busy juggling five things at once.
2: You know, Jay, honestly, it used to be, I was raised in a small Baptist church on the west coast of Scotland. And so growing up in in that environment, I knew that there was a couple of things I needed to do. I needed to have a quiet time and I need to pray in the morning and pray at night. It was on my to-do list. Prayer is no longer on my to-do list. It's on my who I am list. It has literally changed my life, understanding that I get to come as I am and that there's nothing that I will face today or tomorrow that God doesn't already know about and already um, cares about. You know, In my little Baptist church, we grew up just um, loving Jesus and loving God. And we knew there was a Holy Spirit. We weren't completely sure what he did. Then I was in seminary. And for a year, I went to a charismatic church where we were just bonkers over the Holy Spirit. And we loved Jesus and God. Now I have to say, the Holy Spirit has become one of my best friends such a comforter, such a counselor. I mean, every single morning when I get up, my first thing is is good, mor- good morning, Lord. And I talk through my day and I sit in his presence. You know, there's a story I tell in the book that um, I, the year, I mean, the month before I went to seminary, I had a whole month when I graduated from high school and I was going to, Start seminary. And I thought, I want to volunteer somewhere in our town. So I volunteered at a senior center. And every single day I would serve lunch, or coffee or tea. But there was one gentleman I could never reach. He wouldn't talk, he wouldn't come to the table for lunch. And so I would take his lunch to him in a tray. And then one day I sat down and I said, um, Hi, my name is Sheila and I'm from this town, but one day I'm going to go to America. And his face lit up like he just won the lottery. And he said, I'm from America and we became fast friends. But from that day onward, every time I walked through the door of the senior center, no matter what was going on, he would call out, she came. That's how I think God feels when we sit down in his presence. And I know you could be busy with a million demands, but there's all of heaven. When you take time out to sit in his presence, I believe you'll hear all of heaven cry out out over you, she came there's wisdom there's comfort there's peace there's counsel i it's just it's a lifeline to every one of us
0: well praying women and now praying girls and yes what is going on with our young people today and all they face uh, i don't know of a time leader book or a title that ought to grab everyone's attention anyone that has it uh Course, Amazon makes you could get it uh, by uh, tomorrow at 4 a.m., I think. I mean, it's just amazing uh, how quick Amazon is. But I promise these are some great resources. But I want to talk for a few minutes, uh, Sheila, about praying girls, teaching young girls. What would you say? How, it's got difficult, it, it sounds almost difficult. Uh, impossible if you've ever had a teenage girl to <laughs> teach her to pray. And of course, it's even worse for the guys, but that's a whole other story, right? But how do you teach t- a young girl to pray?
2: You know, it's funny, Jay, when I wrote Praying Women, and it was actually when I was in the studio recording the audiobook, I found myself time after time thinking, I wish I knew this when I was a young girl. I wish i'd known this i wish i'd known you get to come as you are i wish i'd known that god cares about every single thing i wish i'd known i don't have to be alone i wish i'd known that god thinks i'm beautiful and so that's why i started to write this devotional for for girls called praying girls and even when i was was recording the audiobook for it i found myself at times just weeping at the truth of being able to tell girls that um You don't have to listen to the lies in your head you don't have to listen to what somebody tells you if your family's in conflict there's power in the name of jesus it was just a very exciting project for me to record and to write about
0: and it's a devotional that comes with it and a prayer plan for what 31 days i believe 60 uh, days 60 days wow to get them in the habit and uh, get them on their way well sheila thank you for your time uh sheila walsh uh amazing, amazing lady. And thank you for all you do for so many.
2: Thank you, Jay.
1: And thank you for listening to There's Always a Way with Dr. Jay Strack. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend by taking a screenshot and posting it to your story or tagging us on Instagram or Twitter at the letter J Strack 007. If you haven't yet, We'd love for you to rate and review the podcast. Because of you, others are able to be encouraged and equipped by these incredible episodes.